Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame, and you got the, and there's a... Now that's a follow-up question, Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question right there. If you can be physical, and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold and ND Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for ND Insider and the South Bend Tribune. The game we've all been waiting for is finally here. Notre Dame took care of Georgia Tech on Saturday, and Clemson escaped with a home victory over Boston College to set up a top-five matchup in Notre Dame Stadium. The number one Tigers will be without Trevor Lawrence and a few other starters, but there will still be plenty of talent left to challenge the Irish. Because this is such a big game, Eric and I didn't want to spend too much time talking about anything else besides the game, so we're going to get right into it and start this podcast with your podcast questions that were submitted on Twitter. Um, and so let's get those going right now. Just tell me when you guys – are we done with USC? Everybody's – you guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right, let's go. You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at TJamesNDI and Eric's at EHansonNDI. First one – we have is from Josh Melton at Domer Colts fan. Brian Kim Kelly seemed irked by the questions today, speaking of his Monday press conference. But don't you think this is a big measuring stick game for both he and the program, especially since they haven't won one of these since 2012? If not now, when? Well, they have won some since 2012. That I get hung up on that. You know, everybody remembers the Oklahoma game. We, we can play this both ways. Um, there was a Michigan State team that came to Notre Dame Stadium early in 2013. Notre Dame beat them, and they were unranked at the time. They ended up being the number three team in the nation. So Notre Dame beat them. That was their only loss. They would have been playing for a national championship had Michigan State won that game. Then you can flip the script and say, okay, at the time of the game, you know, Stanford came in in 2018 as a top 10 team. Notre Dame beat them by three touchdowns. And, you know, the Michigan game to open up the season, they were 12 and 14, respectively. And and toward the end of the year, until Michigan played Ohio State, there were people that thought Michigan would win a rematch, that Michigan was the team bet more deserving to be in the playoff. Right. So, I mean, they have won some of those games. So I got hung up on that part of the question. But I understand what he's saying. He's He's saying, you know, why isn't Brian Kelly making this the game of the century? The problem is 
it, it is a huge game, and they do need to, to win games like this. But the next evolutionary step, and I kind of wrote about this Monday, was is getting into the playoff and winning a game. And Notre Dame can get into the playoff without winning this game. It's not an easy path, and it's a risky path. But they, if they split with Clemson and beat a Trevor Lawrence-led Clemson team in the ACC championship game, I think Notre Dame gets into the playoff and then winning a playoff game. I think that's the next step for this program. And I think Brian Kelly's smart. He's got two really tough opponents after Clemson in Boston College and North Carolina. And if there's a huge hangover, win or lose from this uh, Clemson game, they're going to have a second loss in November. So I think he played it smart. I, I think that needs to be the messaging to his team anyways. To, to the fan base, I guess he could have split the message. But, you know, he's talking to his team in that press conference, and I thought that was a smart thing to do. Yeah, I think it's, 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 it's perfect that you sort of were picking apart the question and not necessarily agreeing with it because I think that's what Brian Kelly was doing, in, at least in the instance where he was asked about it being a measuring stick. The way the question was phrased was that Brian Kelly, it was it was presuming that Brian Kelly has said that this was a measuring stick for his program, and Brian Kelly was saying, "Well, I haven't said that." Um, and Brian Kelly, when he when if you make a statement when you ask a question to Brian Kelly and he doesn't agree with that statement, he's likely to point that out and and say, especially if you you're doing something like potentially putting words in his mouth. Not now whether or not I mean I don't think there was any malintent in, with the way the question was phrased. It's just it's, I mean asking questions isn't an easy thing to do and ha- saying it in, with the perfect wording. Um, sometimes stuff like that happens but uh, just like Eric did and, and he, I've done it before too. We do it pretty regularly. If, if we disagree with a part of a question we're going to point that out in our answer before we try to answer the question the way it was it was asked. So I think that's part, part of what Kelly was doing and that's not uh, something new for Brian Kelly. He, he, he speaks like that a lot, and that's how he handles a lot of questions in press conferences. Um, but getting back to it, it is a big measuring stick for the program. I, I agree. I think it absolutely is. Um, and whether or not he wants to admit it publicly or admit it to his team, I'm not really too concerned about that. I, I, I understand the the strategy of saying, listen, we, we can't just win this game. We, this doesn't punch our tickets anywhere. Um, we still got games to win after this. Um, but if, if he didn't believe how big this game was, he wouldn't have been like talking about it right. at the last two weeks. Um, so I, I think there's, there's, I think there's more wiggle room here than I think people are trying willing to give with what either Brian Kelly is saying and what he's sort of preaching within the program and how all, all those things are, are, are being juggled and, and what they mean. I think, I don't think anyone there's there's no one within a hundred mile radius of Notre Dame that doesn't believe this is a huge game for for this program and it will say a lot about where this program is uh, regardless of how, how the outcome goes. Uh, next question is from Christian Bogan at C underscore Bogan 1989. The offense's ability to control the clock is astounding. They closed out the last three games while holding onto the ball for seven and a half seven and five and a half minutes. Their final drives against USF and FSU FSU were seven minute wonders too. How much benefit does this give ND against elite teams? Well, if they can execute it against elite teams, <laughs> right. um, then, then it's, 
incredibly helpful because you can shorten the game. You know, if you have a fourth quarter lead and you can sit on it and, and limit the other team's possessions, boy, that's magic. You know, uh, Pittsburgh was a really good rush defense. You know, um, Notre Dame didn't have big numbers against Pittsburgh, but, uh, uh, you know, the, the thing about it is we'll see how, if this formula works, this ball hogging formula, especially down the stretch, how it works against, because it needs to work this month, not just for the Clemson game. North Carolina will be another one. North Carolina, those guys really have some bad defensive lapses, but their offense may be more dangerous than Clemson's in some ways. They've got two guys that are elite rushers and a really, really good quarterback and Sam Howell. So, yeah, let's see how it works against, you know, you know, really good defenses. Yeah. I, really I, good teams. Yeah. I had the, the same, same takeaway from that. And also like only one of the games has those, has that final drive mattered. It mattered against Louisville. Louisville needed the ball back to get a chance to win the game. The other games were all, were all over. Like there, there was no doubt in the outcome. The fact that, Notre Dame was able to hold the ball for five and a half minutes against uh, Pittsburgh at the end of the game or seven minutes, whatever it was. It, that, that doesn't mean a lot to me. And the same with the Georgia Tech game. Um, so I think the most important part of controlling the clock is con- consistently converting third downs. Um, and if Notre Dame can, can do that, they're going to be hard to beat as long as they're not um, turning the ball over. So you're just eliminating potential possessions for the opposing team if you're converting your third downs and you're not turning it over. And that allows you to to win the the time of position like they have. But I think there's also a downside to it, which the, you, if you're if you're scoring on big long plays, you're not you, your time of possession isn't isn't long. So I think every once in a while, and Brian Kelly even talked about it in the first first drafts of the game, he do, he's not that interested all the time in them eating a bunch of clock and scoring. He, he would be certainly pleased or content with a with a score quickly as well. Um, so I, I think that. Some of it, I think, is just a product of their offense not being that explosive. And so I, I, I think it works with this defense and, and keeping the ball away, especially from Clemson's offense, will be important. Um, but I'm just not sure how, how that formula will translate against these elite teams. Next question we have is an email from Ken in Pensacola. How do you think Ian Book will attack this game? Will the moment be too much for him, or do you think he'll play with a determination to win at all costs? <laughs> Those are my two choices. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Uh, I think certainly you're going to get effort from Ian. What we haven't seen from Ian largely in games like this is performance, is production. You know, right. Brian Kelly has thrown out the stat, well, um, whatever in three. What is it, 26 and three? Is that the new number, that the new math? I'm not sure. I've lost. It was like 26 and three, but the three. Let's look at the three. Um, His, you know, Ian Book's lowest passing efficiency of his 29 starts is Michigan. So that's one of the losses. His second lowest is 2018 Clemson. And then the other loss is his seventh worst 
and that's Georgia. All those are below 120. Now, I thought he played pretty well against Georgia considering uh, that Notre Dame had no rushing game and wasn't even trying to to have one in that game. Uh, But he has not played well in these big games. And so, uh, you know, the, his, his, one of his best games, I think it was his best game from a pass efficiency standpoint, was one of his first starts. It was that Stanford game in 2018 when Stanford was a top 10 team. Now, they didn't finish the season as a top 10 team, but they were a top 10 team at the time. I think it was a good marker the other, you know, this season that his best pass efficiency day since that Stanford game was the Pitt game against a good Pitt defense. Pitt didn't play complimentary football. They put their defense in really bad positions because the offense couldn't do anything. But that's still a pretty good defense with good defensive personnel. So I don't know how he's going to play. I I don't think it's because – you know, he's not working hard and he, he's not giving it his all. Right. He, he just, that may be his level. He may never have a game like that. Or, you know, and, it, and again, maybe this is the game that changes the whole trajectory of how we remember Ian Book. Maybe this is the one where he gets it out of a system. You know, Wimbush was different than Ian in this way, is that you could look at his pass efficiency ratings – and you couldn't tell who the opponent was. He was pretty consistent. Now, he wasn't consistently good in passing the ball, but it was pretty similar whether it was an elite team or not. Now, he 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 had some laid some eggs like the Miami game. Right. Everybody did in that game. But, you know, when you look at a really bad defense and a really good defense back-to-back, you know, Ball State, and, you know, it looked – in Michigan, it looked the same. So. Right. Um, you know, and then there were guys that rose to the occasion and, you know, to this point, Ian book hasn't done that. That doesn't mean he can't, but that will be the storyline if it happens. Yeah. To me, I'm not questioning Ian books determination to win because who, who on this team will it like impact their legacy more if they win this game than Ian book. I mean, this will impact Ian Book's legacy more than any other player on this team, I think. If Ian Book can beat Clemson, and then you would want him to do it again later in the season, that's going to mean more to his legacy and what he has been as a quarterback at Notre Dame than it will mean for anyone else on this this team, in my opinion. So he wants to win just as bad as anyone. So I don't think that is – that will be in doubt. I I think his flaws – show up both in against elite teams and non-elite teams. It, they, they aren't necessarily tied to the opponent. And I certainly uh, don't think the moment necessarily gets too big for him. I think he gets, he can get flustered against uh, a Georgia tech pass rush just as much as he can get against a Clemson pass rush. I don't, I don't think the moment is necessarily the issue for Ian book. I think it's just, it's just harder to play against good defenses. Um, and he's just, hasn't been able to play at a level consistently, whether it's a good good defense or not, uh, to take advantage of that. So I, I, I don't know that the, the opponent being Clemson um, dictates that much about Ian Book's play, whereas I think he's just kind of repeatedly been the same player and hasn't managed to raise his level of play to overcome 
the opponent at, 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 at a consistent enough level where everyone can sort of feel confident going into a game like this about what they're going to get from Ian Book. Yeah, I would say, you know, Kaiser, at least in tw- the 2015 version of him, I always felt like you were going to get a pretty good shot in a big game. Like the Stanford game, we would forever remember that last drive in the Stanford game if Notre Dame's defense wasn't so horrible and they didn't have such a horrible defensive coordinator <laughs> right. that could allow the winning points to come down the field in less than a minute. Um, you know, and and he was very clutch against Temple, uh, really good Temple defense. Uh, you know, he rose to the occasion against Virginia uh, when he had to come in. So, you know, he's kind of – he kind of had that track record of being able to rise to the occasion. Yeah, and, and Book's had some moments, too, in fourth quarters, whether it's the pit game in 2018, the Virginia Tech game last year. Now, certainly those weren't necessarily great games by him overall, but when it came down to needing him to make plays in the fourth quarter, he was able to do that. So um, he has had some clutch moments. They just haven't, haven't come in against these elite type of opponents. Our next question is from at BFRA underscore Marie. It seemed the O-line regressed against Georgia Tech particularly in pass blocking, what do you think are the issues that most need correcting? And what is the percent chance that Notre Dame runs a surprise play using Xavier Watts or Jordan Johnson on Saturday? After all, there is no film on them. Shades of Chris Brown, 2012. So the pass blocking, I'll let Tyler kind of take (laughs) that one because he studied the film more. It did seem like they were a little bit more inconsistent just watching the game live to me. And Marie was probably right on top of it. She might have even been in the stadium because she's from Atlanta. So I, I trust her judgment on this. As far as the trick plays with Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts, I, I don't know that not having film on them is going to help execute a trick play. I think you'd rather have people that have been in big games and and that you trust them in that kind of situation. So I would say – the people that I think would be involved, the two that I think would most likely be involved in a trick play are Chris Tyree because he's fast and he can outrun mistakes and Avery Davis because he can do a lot of things, including throwing the ball. Yeah, I, I, it, I would have lost good money if you had bet me that Kyron Williams would throw a pass in the game before Avery Davis this season. That was that was a surprise when he did that against uh, Pittsburgh. Um, but as for the, the pass blocking I think the regression, in my opinion, happened the week before against Pittsburgh, um, and I pointed that out in my film analysis. They they were not good and, and borderline bad for Notre Dame standards. Uh, Book was pressured on 43% of his dropbacks against Pitt, um, and that's the worst percentage since the Ball State game that Notre Dame or Eric talked about earlier um, in 2018 with Brandon Wimbush at quarterback. And Michigan get that game that year was worse too, but they've been better than that, in my opinion, in terms of pressure rate. Um, every game since then um, between Pittsburgh and, and that Ball State game. So they they struggled that game. Now, that was against a very good defensive front uh, at, at Pittsburgh, and they were doing some good things to, to confuse Notre Dame and just beating them in some one-on-one situations. Against Georgia Tech, I haven't, I haven't completed my film analysis yet there, so I don't have numbers necessarily to correlate with that. Um, there were some sort of big instances where it happened. Certainly the end of the, the final drive of the first half, um, that ended in a field goal. Kramer was beat up the middle on, on first down, um, and that, that disrupted a play. And then on the next play, Georgia Tech's blitzed up the middle. Chris Tyree didn't 
um, get much of a block on the blitzer and book had to scramble. And that's when he missed a, a Tommy tremble that was wide open. Uh, that could have been a touchdown. So that disrupted that play, although Ian book still had a chance to complete it. Um, so I think a lot of the Georgia tech issues just from my, what I know now without having fully done all my analysis of it is that I think it's more recognition issues of where the blitzes were coming from, um, what stunts the, the defense was trying to do, um, as opposed to technique issues and just getting beat sort of man to man, which was happening more against Pittsburgh. Um, I, Obviously, Clemson's going to have the talent to do that. Clemson's not as strong as in its defensive line as it has been in the past, but they still have talented players. Um, so I think as long as Notre Dame can identify everyone correctly in terms of who the responsibilities are and who's, who's trying to rush the passer and play with good technique, I think they should be fine. Um, but when you talk about an offensive line and pass protection, that's a lot of variables that have to come together um, to, to sort of be on the, the winning side of that. So – I think they'll be in okay shape against Clemson, um, but I have been a bit concerned about the, the direction that the pass protection has gone in the last couple of games. Um, as for Watts and Johnson, I think there's probably, I don't know, less than a 10% chance that either of them make a catch in the game. I just, I just don't necessarily see that. We thought maybe Jordan Johnson gets more involved and maybe them putting Jafar Armstrong on the depth chart as a way to hide having to put Jordan Johnson on the two depth, too deep. But I, I, I'm not necessarily buying into that until I see it. So, um, and I'm sure Clemson has some knowledge of what Jordan Johnson is if, if, if he gets out of the field and they're not going to be, it's not like you're like, Oh, this guy can run. We need to cover him. He's playing right receiver. They're going to assume they should assume that, that he's, that he's good uh, and then adjust from there. We'll get back to the podcast in a moment, but first a word from Coors Light. We all need a moment to chill out these days, right? How do you hit the reset button? There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. These days, it's all go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. It doesn't matter what team or what sport is playing. Coors Light is the official beer of watching any sport or any team to drink beer. So flip through the channels, find a sport, and crack open a Coors Light. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, a perfect moment to chill out. When you need to unwind, make sure your refrigerator is stocked up with Coors Light. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill, Coors Light. Celebrate responsibly, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Next question we have is from Brett Kovach. At Brett Kovach, do you believe Brian Kelly when he says they haven't been holding anything back play calling wise? Just seems like they would have a few things they haven't used yet since they haven't played any real good teams. Um, I don't completely believe him, but I think when you're holding back like big packages and big parts of your offense, you can do that maybe in game two and game three of a season, you know, hold something, not show something against a weak opponent in game one. You know, we're going into game seven and you want to run things that you're good at, that you've done in games. Now, I will say this. We may see some plays run out of a different formation. We may see some wrinkles where, you know, a, a little bit of a, a schematic wrinkle, not a, a completely, you know, big package of, of things that are going to throw Clemson off. Uh, but so I think the truth is a little bit between your question and Brian Kelly's answer. Yeah, I, 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 I sort of agree with you there. I, I think 
because the the need for the offense to be better has been there, they were going to do what they needed to do and use the plays that they needed to use to try and get that offense to be better. So I don't, it's hard to hold back a lot of things when you're trying to get your offense to play better. And you don't want to – if you're holding back some things, that means you're not necessarily setting them up to be as successful as they could possibly be. And I'm not sure that that – is something that they wanted to risk with this offense because they needed it to have confidence going into this Clemson game, whereas they kind of show up on in the Clemson game with something new and then all of a sudden be this explosive offense. I just don't know that that, that was something that they could really take a risk with. Um, now, certainly there will be things that uh, Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese will identify in Clemson's defense um, that they'll want to try to exploit. Um, but that's kind of how every game works. Every 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 game you go in with is a little bit of a different game plan based on the defense you expect to see. And um, one of the things that Brent Venables does so well as Clemson's defensive coordinator is is he is unpredictable. He will throw a lot of different looks at you, so that will be hard for Notre Dame to predict exactly what they want to do. So they need to have a good sense of what they can do well to be able to go out and encounter what Clemson's trying to do to them. So I, I, I kind of understood Brian Kelly in that moment. I And I think – because we're, like you mentioned, this far into the season and have had so many issues with the offense, I, I just don't see that they could they could have afforded to sort of hamstring themselves going into some of those games and not give the offense its best chance to to put up numbers that it, it needed to, to to get some confidence in it. Next question is from at Rick Dyrolf1. Do you guys see this game the way I do? Our defense will keep us close for two and a half quarters them being on the field too long will cause cause them to wilt. I am telling you right now, Ian Book will not hit the 100-yard passing mark. Um, no, I do not see the game going like that. <laughs> yeah, I, the the defensive thing, I mean, Book's throwing for less than 100 yards seems a little bit absurd, but um, that maybe, maybe that happens. Maybe they have a great running game and that could still happen, but – I'm just not worried about the defense being tired because it hasn't been over so many people. Yeah. They play a lot of people. It hasn't been overworked this season at all. Um, It plays with a rotation. Um, So I just, I I can't imagine the the defense being tired going against Clemson. Um, Even if the offense isn't playing well, I think they're going to be in good enough shape to, to, to be able to keep up with Clemson at least. Um, from a, a conditioning standpoint, they might get they might get out out skilled at, at certain points, but I don't think it's going to be because of conditioning. I think you know if Notre Dame wins the game again, they're going to have to have some things like Boston College got in their game. You know, they're going to have to get a gift or two in the turnover department and not have any themselves. Where I think this game could get sideways is if the offense absolutely is going three and out, three and out, three and out. It, that's kind of what happened in the Michigan game last year. Neither neither unit was good at the beginning of the game. Then the right. defense kind of found their footing, but the offense was so incredibly bad that the dam kind of broke with the defense again. Uh, I think if the offense could have found its footing in that game, you would have seen Notre Dame make the score a lot more respectable. Yeah, I agree. Uh, next question is from Joe at Joey Salvatore. How big of an impact will the absence of Skowski in the middle of Clemson's defense have? Is it something ND can take advantage of, or is it really not that important in the grand scheme of things? I think he's a really good player, um, and I think that 
Clemson, it seems like, you know, when I was watching the Boston College game and somebody would come out of the game for one reason or another and they'd plug in somebody else, it's like, wait, wasn't that guy a five-star recruit? <laughs> and, and so they can – they have a lot more margin for error than a lot of teams because they can roll people in that are pretty good. But I would say, you know, Skowski is – a really good player in, and I think Notre Dame will benefit from him not being in the game if he doesn't play, which it doesn't look like he will. Yeah, I think uh, Anna Hickey, who covers Clemson for 24-7 sports, she called him the heart and soul of the defense. Um, so I, to me, that kind of says everything you need to know. Um, so I, I think that he is a good player, and that's a critical position on the defense, especially going against Notre Dame's running a game. Um, so any linebacker issues that Clemson has should be something that Notre Dame will want to take advantage of, um, whether it's with the running game or even potentially passing game to the tight ends. Um, so I think that is a, a big loss for Clemson's defense. Um, now, certainly, do they? Now, the question, like I said, if it's a matter of do they have talent to replace him, the answer is seemingly always going to be yes. <laughs> um, Brian Kelly joked that he would take their third or fourth string defensive linemen and linebackers because that's how, that's how good they are, but. Um, I think that it will make an impact, and I think it did make an impact against Boston College and um, allowed um, the BC offense to have some more success than maybe it would have uh, with, a, with a fully healthy defense. And they have other guys beyond Skowski Misking, too, that I think play a role in that as well. Next question is from Robert Doyle at iRobertDoyle. Apart from Ian Book, who will need to play well or, – or, oh, sorry, let me say that again. Apart from Ian Book, who will need to play well – who are a couple of players who need to play the proverbial game of their lives for ND to be successful? Well, I would say either Dalen Hayes or Ade Ogundeji, um, because Notre Dame needs to have a pass rush. You know, I, I think it would be, you know, saying Hamilton or Jeremiah Wusukormo, but those guys have games like that every week. So we're talking yeah. about somebody to really elevate. I would say Avery Davis is the other guy, I, a receiver that just shocks the heck out of Clemson with his yards after the catch and ability to get open. Yeah, I I agree. Because, I mean, if Ian Book has to play the game of his life, I think there's got to be receivers that are helping him out. He's not able to do that by, like, throwing three completions to every receiver and tight end on the roster. He's going to need – one or two guys that are going to have heck of a game as receivers um, to, to, to make him do that. So my, my bet would be Ben Skoranek. Now maybe he has played well enough in the Pittsburgh game that the proverbial game of his life would be really high just because he's had really good games before. Um, but um, I think one of those receivers need to do that. I, I don't think I have I, – I don't mind the Avery Davis pick. I think that could be an interesting wrinkle. Um, in terms of the defense, I agree with I, – I went with Adi Ogundeji for the defensive end. That Someone needs to be that pass for us presence, um, and, and maybe Adi can do that. Um, and then, I, then I threw out maybe Drew White. Um, if he's all over Travis Etienne, that's a great sign for Notre Dame. Um, I, I don't know that that's exactly the matchup you would be looking for Notre Dame to win on a consistent basis, but if Drew White is able to do that um, and he plays a key role in limiting that, not only the running game, but Travis uh, Etienne out of the backfield – um, I, he's not going to be able to do that by himself. There's going to be it's going to be a collective effort defensively in trying to limit Travis Etienne. But if Drew Wright has a has a heck of a game, I think that that could go a long way for Notre Dame as well. 
Next question is from Chris Buckley at Topher 15. I've always felt weather is the great equalizer for Southern teams traveling North, especially in the late fall. Do you guys feel this weekend's mild forecast diminishes any possible home field advantage for the Irish? My short answer is yes. Um, I think just because you're not going to have 77,000 and who knows how much of, how much of a sea or patches or puddles of orange could have gotten into the stadium, but you're not going to have this huge crowd, this electricity and so forth. And so it really, you know, the, the home field advantage other than Clemson having to get on a plane and come up here is, it would be the weather. Um, so yeah, I mean, especially if it was a sloppy field, uh, that would seem to lend itself to more turnovers. But I think I'm kind of glad that it's ideal weather conditions because I want to see how Notre Dame measures up to Clemson. You know, I want I want yeah. this to be – I'd rather Trevor Lawrence be playing because I'd really like to see what that game looked like, and hopefully we'll get to see it December 19th. Yeah, it, it certainly – the thing about Notre Dame is they're not exactly a good bad weather team. Uh, they they don't have a history of doing that well. <laughs> Kelly, um, so well, yeah, they're definitely not a good hurricane team, <laughs> uh, rain team, and even the the wind was an issue for Ian Book against Louisville. So I think uh, the cold weather would be a thing that certainly you, go, you like to associate with with Southern teams coming up to play at Notre Dame, and even with DJ Uyunglele um, coming being a California kid. Uh, how would he play in the cold weather? Um, but I, I, so I think that that could have helped Notre Dame in a way, but um, I don't know that it would have given Notre Dame a huge advantage in any sort of way. And um, I think it'll be uh, cool to see just kind of sort of a, as a level playing field as it can be, other than certainly not having all your players available. Um, these two teams will get to go out there and play football. Next question we have is from Wayne Oosteroff at W Oosteroff. It all starts up front. Who holds the advantage on the offensive line and defensive line? Well, I think Notre Dame needs to be really good at both of those things in this game to have a chance, you know, it, because Clemson has better skill uh, players. So how do I think that's going to play out? I, I guess I'll I'll push some of my chips in on the Notre Dame's offensive line, and and honestly, I think the defensive line will play well because of their ability to rotate players. I think they've got really quality depth. I don't know, again, what kind of pass rush we're going to see. Right. But I think Notre Dame will play defensive line will play well against the run. I mean, and I have a lot of confidence once you get to that second group. I mean. Start to think about some of the guys that are in the second group, you know, um, Jacob Lacey and and Jason Adam Malola and Justin Adam Malola and Isaiah Foskey and man, if you were picking, you know, just to play some random sport outside of football, that's four really good athletes. So I I like their depth. Um, Clemson's offensive line really hasn't been tested a whole bunch. Uh, so I don't know if I've been very clear on this answer. <laughs> I think it's more. I don't, I don't think they there need is a clear to play answer. Well, then I know they'll play well. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't think there is a clear answer. I think both matchups are pretty balanced. I don't think either 
either team has a significant advantage, whether it's Notre Dame's offensive line versus Clemson's defensive line or Clemson's offensive line versus Notre Dame's defensive line. Clemson, you should mention Xavier Thomas will be out for the first half. They're a really good defensive end. Right. Because of targeting in the last game. Yeah, Clemson had a far better defensive line um, in 2018 than it does now, and yeah. um, that was a big difference in that game. But that's not the case now. I think Notre Dame could have the advantage in, on, in both. I, I, I think it, it's it comes down to the pass rush a lot and for both teams. Can Notre Dame rush the passer well against Clemson's offensive line, which has been pretty good um, in pass protection, and that could also be related to Trevor Lawrence being a great quarterback and knowing when to get rid of the ball and not and being able to avoid sacks and pressure and stuff like that. Um, but also, like we talked about earlier, Notre Dame has had some pass protection issues in a, the last couple of weeks. Um, and can they sort of get some of those things corrected this week? Um, because they, they'll need to do that if they're going to have an advantage as an offensive line. I think Notre Dame can fare better as a running team um, with its offensive line, certainly than it did in 2018 as well. So um, I, there's no like glaring better side to to the to this uh, uh, from either either aspect of it so I, I would lean towards Notre Dame having the advantage but I'm not sure that it, it's either way it's I guess going into the game it's not going to be it isn't significant but come Saturday night it probably will be significant someone's going to win those matchups I, I just don't know who it's going to be uh next question we have is from at Dylan Alley Underscore, which team's quarterback run game has the potential to hurt the other team the most? Well, I think they hurt each other in different ways. DJ is six foot five, 240, and once he gets momentum going, it's difficult if he gets into the second level and people are trying to arm tackle him. The, the thing there is he had had a shoulder issue earlier in the season, and I don't know that they want to do a ton of running with him. Ian Book is is a really smart runner and and obviously faster than people understand him to be. I mean, he's the number two quarterback rusher in in Notre Dame history. And when you think about all the good running quarterbacks in Notre Dame's had, the only one ahead of him is Tony Rice. And he's he's really smart. You know, the thing that I liked in the Georgia Tech game was when Georgia Tech would decide to go man-to-man -man in their pass coverage and their everybody kind of turned their backs to Ian Book, he just took off and, and got huge chunks of yardage. I don't know that DJ has that kind of awareness at this point. So I think from a physical standpoint, he's more dangerous from being able to coax, you know, schematic things out of the running game. Ian's going to recognize his, his opportunities, I think, better. Yeah, this one's a tough one for me because I, I, I don't know enough about uh, Uyunglele to to know whether or not he's going to be able to take advantage of that. I, he's, he did it in some instances against Boston College, and I've seen Clemson reporters indicate that he's been a little bit banged up, so he's would be less likely to run uh, unless he needs to. Um, but I, I – I also think that Notre Dame isn't necessarily great against running quarterbacks. I think that is one of the, one of their few maybe weaknesses as a defense. Um, so maybe there is a, a chance for him to do that. And while I think Ian book is a good running quarterback, he, while he can be erratic at times in his decisions, whether to sort of escape the pocket when he doesn't need to and stuff like that. 
he does tend to make a, a decent amount of just good decisions where whether it's to run the ball and pick up first down in, in situations that um, grant themselves to to the to him. Um, but I also think he's not going to be able to outrun a lot of guys on Clemson either. So um, I think that they will be able to keep him in check at times. So I, I'll probably lean towards Book just because I have a better sense of what Book can do with that. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if 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 Clemson's quarterback can can get a few big runs there and really hurt Notre Dame's defense on, on some key third downs. Next question we have is from Brent Leonard at Burt2834. Is there a chance that they put Hamilton and or Jeremiah Usukoromoa in a spy-type situation with ETN? Um, whenever you kind of throw – I mean, not you specifically. Whenever yeah, no, somebody throws these things out, a spy for a quarterback and everything – Remember, if you're going to commit to that, you're giving something else up. Right. And and I'm not sure that I've heard the team's term spy when it's a running back. You know, usually it's a running quarterback where you're trying to um, commit to a player to him on maybe third down. Um, so I think schematically that would be really difficult to pull off. And I think you would be giving up a lot. If you were saying, Kyle – you know, go with, you know, wherever tra- you, you will be absolutely killed on pat, uh, play action passes. And I think somewhat Jeremiah too. Those guys do so many different things. I don't think you want them honing in on one thing. Defense is so much about playing your assignment. And if you're going to have somebody kind of getting out of their lane, so to speak, you're really opening yourself up to, I think, to big plays. So my answer is no, I do not think Notre Dame will do that. Yeah, the, Notre Dame is certainly going to account for him. I think they'll probably do it in a number of different ways. I, right. I would think that using Hamilton as a way to sort of follow him around the field makes the least amount of sense because he can do so much more in terms of covering a lot of ground, and they need him to do that as well. Um, maybe you can uh, work out some situations where you have Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa sort of be assigned to him in a like man-to-man situation regardless of where he lines up on the field on like a third down or something like that. But I, I think Clemson will be smart enough if, if they pick up on Notre Dame doing stuff like that, they're just going to use ETN as a decoy at times and fill the holes that are being left behind with the guys that you're, you're using to chase around uh, Travis ETN. So I think you have to be careful with that. I think the key is to try to give as many different looks as you can um, and, and sort of account with him with multiple guys and not, one guy that's solely responsible for him and, and see if that can leave you the least vulnerable in other positions. Next question we have is from at J a Miko seven Oh three. Why do Brian Kelly's Notre Dame teams consistently struggle in big games? What's the record against top 10 opponents, three and 10, if I'm not mistaken. I, I did a quick count and maybe I missed a couple, but I had three and eight against top 10 teams, teams that, at the time of the game, they they were three and eight against them. Why do they struggle against them? I mean, some of it is they don't get very many of them at home. This will be the second game in 11 years that Notre Dame's played a top 10 team at home. The other time they played one, they won that game. And I think some of it's just the evolution of the program. Think about where Notre Dame was defensively when – when Brian Kelly took over for Charlie Weiss, you know, he had to build a really good defense. He was able to get one in year three 
that, but they weren't a complete team then. Then they were kind of crummy on offense. You know, they didn't have the skilled players and so forth. And I think some of it is just that, especially now the, in the playoff era, when you run against Ohio State or Alabama or Clemson, they're on such a different level than everybody. I mean, one, two, and three, then there's a cliff to four in terms of either performance or talent. You know, I think Georgia is probably in the same stratosphere talent-wise, but they're not talented in all the right positions. I guess if Jamie Newman had stayed, maybe um, they would be able to say that. But for some reason, Georgia doesn't play consistently consistently to the level of those three teams. Right. So I, I would say it's the evolution of things. I think if, you know, Clemson had a breakthrough early in Dabo's uh, time as the head coach, they had lost a lot of the same kind of games Notre Dame did. And then once they broke through, their recruiting improved a lot. I think if Notre Dame has a breakthrough, we will see an uptick in their recruiting. Yeah, I think – one, it's hard. It's hard to beat top 10 teams. There aren't a lot of people that have great records against top 10 teams. And there also aren't a lot of people that have records like Brian Kelly's against top 10 teams, because if you lose a lot of those games, you may be losing other games too. And Brian Kelly is at least in the last few years has done a good job of winning pretty much every other game, except those kinds of games. Um, so I think that, that, that accounts for part of that. He, he has a long tenure, but I think the biggest thing is that, Notre Dame almost never has the better quarterback in those, in those top 10 matchups. Um, and in those kinds of games, you need to have a quarterback that can take over and make plays you need and, and put yourself in the best position to win those games. And Notre Dame just hasn't had that. That's why the cr criticism that Brian Kelly has about his quarterback development or his quarterback recruiting is fair. Um, and I, the extent of the criticism may not always be fair, but it is a fair criticism. They, they have not had enough quarterbacks that can – take this this team from borderline elite to elite. And I think that is one of the biggest differences between Notre Dame and the teams that they run up against in these top 10 matchups. So I think that has a, has a big thing, a bit, it says a lot about why, um, and it probably isn't going to change much until Notre Dame can figure out a solution to that. Next question we have is from at Jeff 6 If you could add one current NFL player to Notre Dame teams this week, who would it be and why? Mine is between Jalen Smith and Golden Tate. I think Smith would be a great equalizer for ETN, and Tate is the wide receiver we desperately need. I'm leaning towards Jalen to see him with Lee. I asked Brian Kelly a similar question uh, before the season. I always do these 20 questions with Brian Kelly, and they're usually kind of offbeat. And this was not specific to the Clemson game. This was just adding – a former player of his to this team for this year. Yep. And I'm going to go with his pick, which was Stefan Tuitt. I think in this particular game, having an elite pass rusher and a guy that's a really, really good run stopper, that kind of presence is something Notre Dame doesn't have. And then I look for what they don't have on offense. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go with Golden Tate. I'll copy off of your paper on that one. I like that answer. Yeah, I think those are both good answers. I, to me, I just kind of went with recent history. I said, give me Chase Claypool again. I'd, I, I'd gladly have him uh, in my receiver group and give him more chances to make plays um, with, with Ian Book. And, and he's a substantially better player 
in 2019 and 2020 than he was in 2018 too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, uh, and even now I think he's probably a better player. I mean, I guess if we're doing this hypothetical, are we talking about Jalen Smith now or Golden Tate now or them in the prime of their Notre Dame careers? I, Golden Tate probably was had probably had a better – he did have a better season at Notre Dame than Chase Claypool ever had a single season at Notre Dame. Um, but I, I just think the things Chase Claypool can do in, in today's game are pretty, uh, pretty tough to uh, defend. So I would like to see um, Notre Dame having that in this, in this offense because they don't have that right now. Next question is from Remy at Gambit1077. Who would win a head-to-head game of 500, Jordan Johnson or Kyle Hamilton? Well, Tyler and I talked a little bit about this off the air. Um, I wasn't sure if they were talking about, because I'm old, I thought bid Euchre when I heard 500. Uh, I know there's the game where you, you know, throw the ball and you yell out the points and the person has to catch it. And so I assume that's what you're going for because I don't know who's good at cards. Uh, (laughs) So I guess I would go with Kyle Hamilton at that. I I think he would be good at everything he does. I mean, (laughs) in Euchre, he probably would be good at that too. Yeah. Yeah. This, this, this falls once again in the category of don't pick against Kyle Hamilton until proven wrong. So I would, I would opt with Kyle Hamilton. I know everyone loves Jordan Johnson. He, he, um, this year, it, Jordan Johnson has replaced the backup quarterback as the most popular player on Notre Dame, <laughs> the Notre Dame fan, fan base, um, partially because the backup quarterback that they loved is no longer here and he's playing at Boston College. Uh, but um, I still think uh, I'd take Kyle Hamilton. That he, it's not like he's, he's, he's uh, losing in, in a size disadvantage uh, to Jordan Johnson. And the last question we have in a question-packed – episode today what is the ideal pair of current Notre Dame players to compete on the hit game show supermarket sweep what about all time what about two current ND coaches well I'll tell you I I have not watched a full version of the new edition of it I've seen the end of it because I DVR something that I like and that's the last few minutes before whatever program I like comes on. I don't know if it's the voice or if it's something else, but the host, boy, she's lively. I mean, she's way more into it than the host back in the eighties or whenever that was. (laughs) But my recollection of the game is that you not only have to be fast, you have to know prices and that builds your time up, how much time you get to do in your sweeps. So you have to have both of those skills. So I'm, I'm leaning on Kyle Hamilton because he's fast and because he has a genius IQ. <laughs> and then I'll go with Chris Tyree because he's also fast. And when I interviewed him back before he came to school, uh, it was about a month before he enrolled at Notre Dame, he, he impressed me as a pretty smart guy too and a pretty determined guy. I figure he can find his way around the grocery store. Okay, so now the coaches – I, I'm definitely going to go with um, Clark Lee on this one because I think he knows the answers to everything. He would be good on Jeopardy and Price is Right and everything. He would know all the answers. And he runs, if you've ever watched them practice, he and his group will run from one drill to the other drill. So he, he's in shape. He can do it. Then it came down to Mike Elston versus Lance Taylor. You know, Lance um, – is a pretty smart guy and I think can move pretty well. I think Elston 
probably has, I mean, you look at his daughters, they are absolutely the most well-behaved kids in the history of the universe. So I think he runs a tight ship. You know, he knows how much money everybody's spending. He knows how much uh, the chocolate chips cost that Beth uses to make the cookies. So I'm going to have to lean to Elston and Clark Lee. And then the two players of all time, this was easy. They probably wouldn't do well on the game show, but they've the, they're the only two players I've seen in the supermarket. <laughs> and that was Quentin Nelson and Alex Bars. And they brought a dog inside the supermarket that I was shopping in and didn't get yelled at. Nobody said anything. Nobody told them that they weren't allowed to have the dog. So I figured if they can get a dog on their shopping trip, not get in trouble for it, they'd be good on a game show. Yeah, the dog was like sitting in the shopping cart, right? The dog was sitting in the shopping cart. <laughs> yeah, I actually went with that too for my all-time answer because I, I do remember that story. And for me, I went, I sided with uh, sort of chemistry between guys and those guys are really close friends. And so I'm not exactly sure if that's necessary in supermarket sweep, but I'd like to think that there's some teamwork that goes into it. Um, before I forget, I'm not sure if I mentioned who asked this question and I had a, a brain fart there. So at PSILLY226 submitted this question if I didn't already say that. Um, I don't know. The thing that I, I would like to know is which players have a good sense around know the way around a grocery store and know the prices associated with items. I'm not really sure who, who is the most budget conscious or who, who does their, their grocery shopping a lot and who doesn't necessarily just eat out, eat at the goo all the time. Um, so current players, I went with the Adam Alola twins. I said, well, they've, they've probably been shopping together plenty of times before. So if you want guys that are on the same page, I think a twin, the twins are a pretty good bet for that. Um, and then in terms of the coaching staff, um, I went with Clark Lee and I went with your other choice there with Lance Taylor, the, Lance bringing the, uh, the athleticism and Clark certainly has that too. And I see Clark sort of being the mastermind of, of that and knowing everything uh, about the grocery store. He'd probably have a blueprint of the grocery store already in mind and know exactly where everything was going. So I think those would be uh, your best bets from the coaching staff. All right, now it's time for place your bets. How much you want to make a bet? I can throw a football over the mountains. This is our segment dedicated to the degenerates. Let's make some prop bets for Notre Dame Clemson. First one I have for us, Eric, is over under 10 and a half catches for Notre Dame wide receivers. Well, you know, I'm not even sure how many completions Notre Dame's passing game is going to get. I don't think it's going to be a ton over that. Um, and I think the good matchup, a good matchup in these games are going to be the tight end and tight ends and the running backs. So I'm going to say that number is going to be lower for the wide receivers. I think that's going to be the part of the passing game that's going to have the biggest issues. Yeah, I'm going under as well. Um, I wasn't sure where to set this line to try and convince you into taking the over, but uh, they had 11 catches against Georgia Tech. Um, and they, I wouldn't say that the wide receivers were, were spectacular. Certainly Javon McKinley had a, a pretty good game against Georgia Tech, but beyond that um, – Avery Davis had had some contributions here or there, but um, they're only averaging a little over seven catches per game, um, and that was with a, a very bad start at the beginning of the year. So I'm just not quite sure that's the matchup that Notre Dame can exploit against Clemson, so I'm going to go under as well. Next one I have for us is will Notre Dame force a turnover? Clemson's been a little bit sloppy for them this year. Notre Dame hasn't been as uh, – adept at 
forcing turnovers as they were last year. I think some of that is Khalid Kareem was so good at it, uh, active with his hands and so forth. Um, and I also think Notre Dame needs to ratchet up the pressure to, to force more of those. Brian Kelly, that's why he was so excited about Dalen Hayes. After the Georgia Tech game, he felt like if he starts to get mileage out of Dalen Hayes, there's potential turnovers there, even though even when you don't, um, even when you don't get home with the sack, you could certainly force mistakes. I think with a freshman quarterback and the way that Clemson's been a little bit sloppy with the ball, I'm going to give say yes. Notre Dame will force at least one turnover. Yeah, I, I I'm just not comfortable enough with Notre Dame's sort of lack of being able to uh, create turnovers so far this year to feel like this is going to be a game that they can rely on being able to do that. Now, certainly, if the game goes Notre Dame's way, it seems like it'll likely happen that Notre Dame would force a turnover, but I'm just not quite there yet. I haven't seen enough from this team's ability to do that. Um, Now, they've been in position to do that, especially with some interceptions and haven't always come through. Um, but I, I just don't – I don't necessarily know that that's something I want to rely on, um, feeling that Notre Dame can come through with that against Clemson. Well, they're they're going to need to. I have bad <laughs> news for you, Tyler. If they're going to win this game, they're going to need to do that. Uh, the other thing is Boston College played great, and there's players on Boston College that could start for Notre Dame, and I'm sure some people have one person in mind. But um, <laughs> I, I, I don't think that Clemson – I don't think that DJ has seen anybody like Kyle Hamilton or Jeremiah Usukoromoa yet. And I think he could get kind of lulled into throwing an interception, just not realizing the coverage skills those guys have. Yeah, totally, totally. I can can see that for sure. Um, Next one is over under one and a half rushing touchdowns for Notre Dame. I don't think – Again, I don't envision a lot of touchdown passes from Book. We haven't seen it in a lot of games. We saw three in the Pittsburgh game. Uh, but usually Notre Dame is moving the, you know, getting into the end zone. And and they're going to have to have at least two touchdowns. And I think if they have at least two touchdowns, they're going to need more than that. I think, yeah, they're going to be over. I, because I think Notre Dame is going to be in this game in the fourth quarter. So, yes, I will go over the 1.5. Yeah, I went over as well. Clemson has only allowed three rushing touchdowns so far this season, but I do think their run defense has been made weaker with some of the injuries that they've been um, struck with on the defensive side. Um, so I'm going to go over. Um, in addition to the traditional running game, Ian Book's always a threat to potentially scramble for a score. So I think um, over is where I'm siding on this one. Next one we have is over under 260 passing yards for Clemson QB DJ Uyangalele. Okay. Well, I like your courage there. And until this week, I've been calling him DJ Ukulele because I just <laughs> didn't realize he was going to be relevant in this game. Uh, but uh, I, I think he's really a good passer. What's hard for me to calculate is if Notre Dame's going to be able to be a ball hog like they have to this point. They've really limited the opposing team's plays. They've limited their time of possession, and that would hold the um, yards down. I mean, there's several games here in a row that teams haven't even had 260 total yards against Notre Dame, let alone 
260 passing yards, and yet Clemson's in a different universe. I, I don't think Clemson's going to be behind in this game. I think they're going to probably play for the lead with most of it, and they're going to try to stay balanced and try to rely on Travis Etienne a little bit more. So I'm going to say slightly under for that 260 figure. Yeah, I'm going to go under as well for Uwe Angalale, um, since I can say it with a little more confidence, confidence the second time around. Uh, I, I I agree. I don't think it's going to be lopsided. I, I don't think Notre Dame, or Clemson's going to be playing from a big deficit to force them to need to throw a ton. Um, I think Notre Dame can limit big plays in the passing game against Clemson. Um, so I think there's a chance that Notre Dame, a, a decent chance that Notre Dame can keep the passing yards limited and not uh, be chasing around guys in the secondary all night. I admire – I think if you say it with conviction, you can <laughs> pronounce it any way you want. I have to tell you, Tyler, I was on a Milwaukee radio station earlier this week, and I mispronounced Travis's last name, so <laughs> you're good to go. Who's Travis? Oh, Travis Etienne, okay. Yeah, I said – I called him Etienne, and I tried <laughs> to correct myself, and then I said Etienne. Like, it almost sounded like Annie M from Kansas – and then well, uh, I finally got ETN right. And it's not a difficult name to say. Well, my, my name went – or my mind went blank because I thought you were mixing up Travis and Trevor. <laughs> so I was like, how'd you mess up Lawrence? <laughs> so uh, we, need to, we need to get sharper. It's a long week for us here. We got we to gotta stay on the ball here. Um, next one I have for us is over under seven and a half tackles for Kyle Hamilton. No, no hard pronunciations there. Yeah, again, it, it, a lot of it comes down to – you know, Notre Dame's defensive stats individually are really suppressed by how few the other few plays the other team's able to run because of that time of possession differential. But I don't think the time of different possession differential is going to be great, if at all, in this game. Um, so I would say yes for Kyle Hamilton. I think he's going to play the game of his life. So I'm going to give him over seven and a half. Yeah, I'm going over as well. I'm expecting him to be all over the field. I, I generally tend to side with don't doubt Kyle Hamilton. So um, I was this was a number I was like, I wonder how high I could push this up that would convince me to go under. But I, I stuck in there with seven and a half tackles, and I, I think uh, he'll be able to hit the over on that one. I, I thought it was funny because I saw a quote from Dabo today saying Kyle Hamilton was one of the best safeties in the country, and his dad retweeted it. And I'm thinking – why is this news? You know, <laughs> we all know this already. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's, it's nice to, especially if you're a parent to hear it from someone else uh, saying it about your kid. But uh, I, I don't know if you saw uh, DJ Uyunga, Uyunga uh He said that he has blocked his dad on Twitter because his dad does retweet compliments and he doesn't like seeing all the compliments. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then last, uh, last thing for place your bets from us, uh, our final score predictions. What do you got? You know, I, I think Clemson's the better team. Um, but they have a lot of pieces missing. Um, and if Notre Dame is ever going to, you know, <laughs> if I knew how Ian Book was going to play, this would be a lot easier because I have a sense of how everybody else is going to play. I think – Something weird's going to happen at Notre Dame Stadium, so I'm saying Notre Dame 27, Clemson 26. All right, I uh, I think I may have given my prediction away earlier when you said, "Well, I got news for you, Tyler. They're going to need turnovers if they want to win." And I uh, I think I'm I'm siding with Clemson to win this one. I just 
I feel like I would feel dumber if I picked Notre Dame to win this and Clemson won than, than vice versa. I just – I need Notre, I need to see Notre Dame win this kind of game before I can, in good conscience, pick them to win. Um, I think a lot of the things are setting up in Notre Dame's favor, um, but I still think a lot of things need to go right on Saturday for Notre Dame to win and to make that happen. So I'm citing Clemson in a close game, not a, not a very dissimilar score to you with Clemson 27, Notre Dame 24. All right, that's it for today's episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Leave us a review or rating if you like what you hear. Tom Noy and Carter Carls will be back on Sunday with a recap of Saturday's Notre Dame Clemson game. Stick with NDInsider.com throughout the week for all your pregame and postgame coverage needs.